Welcome to Episode 2 of Ideal, the podcast that explores how great ideas get made. And thank you for tuning in. You know, I met Justin over 10 years ago while we were attending Portfolio Center in Atlanta. In school, Justin wasn't just a student. He was b-boying in Atlanta's burn unit crew, and he also took a few months off to live as a Buddhist monk. Justin went on to work as a photographer, an art director, and an experience designer for clients like the NBA, Delta Airlines, and Lowe's. Justin's journey to founding Fiona was born out of a life well-lived. I am really, really excited for you to meet my friend, Justin Keonan. Welcome to Ideal. <laughs> Justin, welcome, and thank you so much for, for appearing and taking time out of a Saturday. Fiona Health, of course, had a very unlikely beginning, and it stemmed from a personal uh, experience that you had. I don't know how much you want to talk about, well, I can talk about it. the accident itself. I know it's incredibly, um, it was a life-changing incident. So it sounds like uh, Fiona came out of that. Do you want to talk a little bit about the, the true beginnings of Fiona? Yeah. So... I'm going to take it back a little bit. I loved motorcycles, and I still do. Sometimes it's painful for me to see motorcycles. But um, one day, I was going to work, riding my motorcycle. It was a motorcycle I customly built from the ground up. Um, bought it, savaged, and you know, built it up, customized it. Um, so I was riding the street. A car never saw me. She took a left turn right in front of me, and that's all I remember. Um, I woke up, nearly lost my arm. I had to be resuscitated. Um, leg was kind of destroyed, but um, I didn't know where I was. I was next thing you know, I was in a trauma unit. I got to meet this wonderful, wonderful surgeon, um, Dr. Payne, Dr. Diane Payne, and we formed a really good bond. And knowing me, I, you know, I have a really, I'm a really skeptic, so I read all her medical journals and I kind of like tested her on it. <laughs> and we kind of bonded on that. And, we, and from there on, we start talking about hospital policies, insurance policy, public policy, healthcare policies nationally. And then it just stemmed. But she asked me an interesting question after, after she knew out, like, what I was into. And she's like, hey, I got this technology problem. I'm trying to pull data out of my EHR, which EHR stands for electronic health record, which the doctor enters all the questions they ask you yeah and uh she's like i can't get this out do you have any idea or best practices how to get this out it's just simple like gun violence data right yeah. i just want to look for trauma data but everything's coded wrong do you have a, like a little secret that how you look for this stuff and i was like well i asked her more questions and you know i was like how long is it taking you she's like uh, i requested it from it it's taking like six months i was like so this is a trauma surgeon pulling data herself we're trying to pull it. I mean, Grady is world-renowned for their, their trauma care. Yeah. Imagine a system like the VA or, oh. or something, or even rural health has to be even crazier. Yeah, and, and you, when you deep dive into it, it was just a really weird systematic problem. So did you continue dialoguing with your surgeon to get feedback, to, to mold the, the product itself? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we did a lot of testing. Um, I mean, I went all over the Midwest and all over the East Coast, up from New York, um, all the way down south to just even in Chicago and just to test and like what analysts or, and providers were, were using and how to use it and how to make their life easier. As you get to do that, you start to figure out that this is, this is a really big problem, but also selling this is really hardest too because sure. you, you know, when you, anytime you come to the healthcare table, there's three stakeholders, which is the IT team, the CIO, CTO, and you need the provider. Mm -hmm. um, the healthcare team in terms of interpretation, right? And you gotta have one first a physician champion, and then have the backing of of the CIO, CTO, and then the implementation team has to be like 
yeah, we could do that. Or they could they could be they could they're your like your fifty fifty chance because sure. if they say that this is gonna be too much work on us because they're all overloaded, then they're not gonna do it. The implementation sounds almost like maybe the biggest hurdle because some of these systems are so old and antiquated and bloated. Oh, absolutely. How did your background as a creative, as a photographer, even as a b boy, change how you approach solving a problem like this? When you look at b boy, especially when you battle people, and I know it's like a cliche when you battle people, but like. You battle people, you look at how they're talking and how they're talking with their moves and how you counter those moves, angles, and and how you just, if anything, how to read expressions, sure. right? And like from there, I, I learned how to read people's expressions in sales pitch and like get a feel for a room, get a vibe for a room. It's like, okay, this is how this is going. And I can read body language real quick. I think if anything, people in time how to read body language. Sure. Uh, with, with photography, I learned how to dictate and kind of direct those body languages into a certain mood or feeling so I could capture a certain moment. Right? So it's all kind of coming together. It all comes together. As you're starting to, to get Fiona in a place where you want to get it off the ground and get it going, um, how are you convincing your leaders at Moon and Icon that this was something you wanted to do? And you went all in on this, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think if people know me, I usually try to go on and everything. I mean, I, sometimes I fail, sometimes I don't. but. That's the point, right? You're trying to get skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went on in. I mean, the way I talked to him was like, look, we initially tried this arm, right? This digital technology arm. So how quickly did you make that decision to pivot from Moon into Fiona? Um, it was a hard decision, to yeah. be honest. Um, because a lot of the work that we were getting were websites. I mean, they were just digital, typical, um, websites and the reason why we started Moon was to do different factors or factions of of digital technology work. Sure. And we got some and we experimented. We created our own right to pitch uh, other clients. So here's the thing of B-Boy that taught me too yeah. is that whatever moves I do, I figure out a way how to counter them. Okay. So every time I walk into a room, I don't. Well, here's the thing. I don't ever go in a building unless I know how to get out. That's yeah. always been my mentality. And I think as an industry is the same way, is that if I come in this industry or I get in this kind of work, how in the world am I gonna kill my own business, right? And even when I go pitch clients, I I ask them three questions, which is, how can I put you out of business? How might you prevent that? And how can I turn you into a monopoly? Those are good, man. And when I ask them those questions, whatever they ask me to do, what, and how they answered it, I was like, that's what you need to do. Yeah. Whatever you hired me and asked me to do, that's not what you need to do. You need to do that. Do you find that companies have answers to those questions? Because they're fairly esoteric. Yes. Do, do people know? Some people know. And and I, and I asked them, why aren't you doing that? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's funny because like they've answered their own business questions. And you start to realize, one, it's risks, right? Sure. Um, if, especially if it's a public company, there's, there's a lot of expectations meeting quarterly um, results, making your quarterly results. But two, it changes the whole operation. And they're also afraid that they're killed the current cash flow or current revenue channels that they have. And I think that's the point. By the way, you guys need to like read Stratechery. It's amazing. Um, by Ben Thompson, he talks about this. This is a blog, right? Yeah. So Stratechery. Stratechery. But yeah, well, getting back to it. But yeah, if you answer those questions, a lot, of, I think a lot of people are just afraid of killing their own like child, pretty much. Mm-hmm. That's wrong to say. Killing their own products. It's like saying, like telling a designer, I wouldn't say get out of the design. I would say get out of the design agency model. Okay. But what I mean by design is this, especially in the branding world. Um, 
And I actually went to a lecture by um, Brian Collins, who runs Collins, right? So I asked him a question about how he thinks machine learning and AI is going to influence branding in a certain extent. He talked about the emerging technology changing branding drastically, and he points to one example. You know, he goes to the room, he says, all right, what's the new technology that's trying to transform everything, you know? I, I didn't know how to answer. I was like, um, text message, right? Yeah. Text message, phones, like the mobile device. And sure. he's like, yeah, yeah, but that's not the most recent thing. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, he goes into it and he says, you know what? What's really changed everything, in my opinion, is the Amazon, the Amazon Echo. Voice. He gave the best fucking example and it silenced everybody in the room. He, he went around the room and said, okay, how many, how many of you guys have Amazon Echoes, right? People raising their hands. He goes, all right, if you order something off Amazon Echo, Let's say you're in a grocery store, what do you order? Right, points to everybody. People are like, almond milk, bananas, nuts. He goes around the room, people start saying all this, and then he stops, right, he pauses. And he says, have you guys noticed that none of you guys have said a brand name? Mm -hmm. and that's when the room got really quiet. So in the age of brands, or at least what the design world calls in terms of branding, in the age of where Amazon takes over, in terms of where brand recognition isn't even there anymore, where patterns of habits are king, right? Yep. What does that mean to the design industry? There's a professor at NYU named Scott Galloway. He owns L2 Inc. It's an incredible YouTube channel, but he has the same perspective that branding is this old school construct that kind of puts cool packaging on kind of shitty products. Yeah. And that's technology is the equalizer that's put all that yeah. aside. I mean, here's, I, I see this, you know, I get it. You know, I think there's a small margin and channel for it, especially in, in real experiences. But there, there was working. There, there was a client that we had that was all about point of sale, right? Point of sale, point of sale. That's where we're gonna win the customer over. And I sat there. I was, I was like, should I ask this question or should I not? And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. How do you battle a pattern established on Instacart? It's like I don't have to go to a store. What if I know what I want and it gets delivered to me every week because I schedule it every week? What do you think the antidote is to this kind of? I mean, it's a paradigm change in how, what brands are and how they affect the world. I, you know, I don't have the answers for that. Mm -hmm. um, but from what my observations are, and I think it's working for now, right? And I, and I say that with just like temporary like hesitation, yeah. at least yeah. for now. <laughs> and I think the influencers, right? Because here's, the, I got two philosophies behind that, and here's my thesis on it, is that... Um, Rene Geroid, who is a philosopher at Stanford, this philosophy is that the ultimate human desire is to imitate another human, right? And I was like, okay, I see that, but I started reading more about his philosophies, and I was like, man, it kind of make, kind of makes sense, because you look at when you look at a baby, you, know, you stick your tongue out, they stick their tongue out, and the baby watches you, it imitates so much behaviors because it you're building their behavior models off of you. Yeah. But in, in the essence, it comes down to Imitation, and that was like the perfect platform to imitate somebody else was Facebook. It's it's a tribal aspect, sure. right? Humans are very tribal. You want to join a tribe that's similar to yours, join a different tribe that's different from yours, or just visit a tribe. Mm -hmm. And I think in terms of like marketing or branding, it is that aspect. Is that that's why influencers are really strong now? Because you know, with uh, a change in code or a change in policy, do you think it will continue the way it is? It seems insane. The whole world's insane. Yeah, I mean, like look at it, like yo. If somebody told me I could be a millionaire playing video games, that's crazy, right? Yeah. And somebody told me I could be a millionaire being a YouTube star, that's even, even more crazy. And somebody told me I could be a millionaire by investing in the money that somebody else created, that's even more crazy, right? So you're living in an age where like anything's possible now. Yeah. 
And so I, I always say this to clients, like, look, technology used to change every seven to 10 years and it changed every five years. Now it changes every year or some six months. Sure. So like you got to build a business that's just, that, that is one modular and flexible and, and, and just has the agility to kind of just move where it needs to move, but also like hire the type of resources that have those, um, that mental mode as well, right? Sure. I mean, you look at Instagram TV launched this week. It's longer form. Again, another swipe at Snapchat, but it's longer form video. Previously, only a, a minute was the limit, but again, another adaptation from this major platform. And then that's why I'm like hesitant designers. Like, if you were to get into this, you just can't be making cool shit. Yeah. You got to really like come up to arms, understand strategy and business as well, and especially from the financial side. So what is a hard skill as a, as a designer would you recommend uh, younger people develop? Is it, is it coding? Is it... Nah, fuck all that. <laughs> like, for real, like, if I, if I had to do it all back and, and tell a designer, one, don't get in debt. Just don't, do, don't, just don't get in debt unless you are really positive about the, or optimistic about the returns you're going to get. But if I had to do it all over again, the best advice is to say, start your own business. Okay. You gotta have skin in the game, and you will learn so much faster failing or being or succeeding, mm -hmm. right? Um, mainly failing. Yeah. <laughs> um, because you just learn so much. You, you, you know, as a designer, you think of like, man, I'd be so cool to design this for somebody. Or, but here's the thinking behind that: is that you're leveraging somebody else, and, and you're not taking on the risk. Sure. Right? So that's the part of my problem with agencies too: is that they always present cool shit, but they're not willing to take the business risk that the, their clients have that hold. Right. Mm -hmm. So like. I understand when clients push back because you're dealing with my money. Yeah. So like, I'm not going to sign up because I don't know what you, you can't prove to me what my returns are. I'm a, they always choose the safe thing. I mean, there's ways to minimize that and mm -hmm. present crazy options and then create the safest option and then they somehow meet you in the middle. But as a designer, what I tell designers, I would tell designers, I was, start your own business, sure. test it out, test just, even if it's like a, something on Etsy or, or something, just start it, go to the craft fair, or go high level, um, start your own business or start up. I mean, I, I hate the concept of start because that's essentially a business, yeah, right? Yeah. But like, uh, or the concept word, a startup. Yeah. But just start a business and you'll learn so quick that sometimes it doesn't even matter about good design. Well, good design always sells, but you're gonna know really quick what works and you're gonna have empathy and empathize with your clients as well. Do you think more agencies should be developing and designing their own products? I am seeing a lot of agencies like RGA. Anomaly's doing that too. Yeah, Anom Anomaly was very the first one to start it, yeah. right? They would take on clients and take equity within the clients. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a great idea because the clients are with you, they know you got skin in the game because if, if they fail, you fail, Sure. right? And that's why I, I start my own business and yeah. I pivoted so many times because like, look, nobody's really gonna believe me. I'm, I could give business advice and design advice, photography advice all day, but if I'm not, if I haven't done it, why should they be listening to me? Sure. As someone who started their own business, you've spoke a ton today about risk and fear. What, what part has fear played in, in your business, your decision to go out on your own and your decision to pivot to Fiona? Um, the risk is always there and I'm, I'm, I wake up scared. I don't wake up scared. I go to sleep scared. <laughs> <laughs> I wake up like a bad, I, no front of my confidence, but I wake up and I feel like a badass motherfucker every time because uh -huh. I have to, there's yeah. no other choice for me, mm -hmm. right? I have a family, like there, for me, I, I have an obligation. I have to be the best at my job because if I'm not the best at my job or learning and getting better, then I can't provide for my family. And if I can't provide for my family, 
then I could go to jail. <laughs> I don't want to go to jail. Yeah. Um, but also, I've died, right? I've died and came back to life. And in that second chance, there's a lot of philosophical and emotional things that come with it. Yeah. But at the same time, I value my time now. So I said, you know what? I'm going to spend my time doing what I want to do, and I'm going to try to get good at what I want to do. But also, like, why not do it? Because I, I've... I know that everything can be taken away from you in an instant. And like nothing, in, like tomorrow's never guaranteed, right? You could buy, you could die in an instant, like in, in the really snap, really quick. People um, say that all the time, yeah. but you know that, and you yeah, live I know that. I live that, and I know it. And I spent a lot of hours and hard work just to even starting to walk again and how to use my arm. And I still, you know, I had to learn how to use my left hand to write, use chopsticks. I had to learn how to type. Mm-hmm. I had, to, I had to buy a mouse where I had to customize my mouse so I could even work. Sure. And I came, I couldn't for the longest time, and it's still hard for me to shoot a photo, like shoot a photo with a DSLR. Yeah. It is so hard. Those big rigs, yeah. Yeah, and I had to get out that world. So like when I died, I had to shed my identity, mm-hmm. and I had to learn new things. So in terms of risk and being scared, you never know what's going to happen. So why not start it? It's okay to lose your shirt, mm-hmm. right? It's not okay to lose your life, but at the same time, if I lose my shirt and I get back a house, yo, like, yeah, <laughs> why not? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it, it just takes a certain personality to do that. Um, and you know, some people do it. Some I get it. Some people are risk averse, but at the same time, like, you should always be scared. Yeah, you should. I, I think you should always be scared. As just a creative in general you should be willing to take failure and risks and not be scared about it because you should know you're creative. You're taking, you're doing some really crazy wild, wild shit. And then sometimes it pays off and sometimes it doesn't, but you should never like play it safe. And, is... and granted, I haven't figured it out. Right. <laughs> granted, if I figured this out, I'll, I would have my own NBA team right now, Yeah. but I haven't. <laughs> and that's the first thing when I taught a class at, in a design class, that's the first thing I tell the students was like, Whatever you're getting into now is a business. Yeah. Right? It is a business. So whatever criticisms you get, you have to understand it's from a business side. And you know, creatives are like, oh no, it, it, it like distracts or obstructs my like creative energy. I'm like, yeah, I get that. I understand that. But you're not a musician. That's not why you're here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, it's it's a form of art, yeah. but it's not art, is it? Yeah, unless you know, unless you're like You've earned the upper echelon, unless you're like Stefan Stackmeister and all those other as- aspects. But at the same time, you know his business is very limited. And I granted that that's what he wants to do, or Jessica Wash wants to do. Mm-hmm. But I, I think if you're talking in terms of like longevity and sustainability and growth, right? And what I mean by growth is like your ability to do other things in life, not just design, to be a better human being, to be a better like give better value to a certain ecosystem of commerce but mm-hmm. also to society do you think designers should be taking nba classes or at least a portion of design curriculum should be i think i think creatives I, not, designers creatives where you call it i think they should yeah learn business they should i don't know if you take nba it'd be better yeah people take you more serious mm-hmm. but yo they teach design classes in MBA programs. Yeah. And I, I think what fucked up everything for designers, especially the business, yeah. business now, is design thinking. Yeah. And I, 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 I love it. Because <laughs> it's now democratized design. People, designers hate it. And they think design thing is bullshit. But I'm like, no. 
Now I have a better conversation with the NBA people because they understand where I'm coming from. When it's demystified like that, it does. It's it levels the playing field. I, I think I think this is why I quit, and I I borrow this from the, my basketball analytics background. It's the same thing that that um, Billy Bean or Daryl Morley did with sports, right? Or Theo Espin mm-hmm. is that they dis- demystified the aspects of sports, right? They quantify it. They didn't really rely on it solely, but they used it as a tool to take advantage and gain an edge and get ahead, right? Mm-hmm. DOS being what got the Red Sox to, fuck, to a fucking championship because of it, and, and, to, and they went to the Cubs, spent five years, did it. Durham Morley used it, traded players, got all these assets. Um, Billy Bean, they made a movie out of them. Yeah. yeah. Brad, yo, Brad Pitt was Billy Bean. Moneyball. Yeah, Moneyball. <laughs> Michael Lewis, shout out to Michael Lewis. He's great, great author. Um, but like, um, but anyways, like, I think from a designer standpoint, if I have that arsenal in terms of in my vocabulary or my lexicon to talk to a client, mm-hmm. it gives me a whole different aspect and influence. So yeah, you talked about systems thinking a little earlier. Um, yeah, what what are some resources you've used to build up that that skill set of yours? Oh man, I've. But okay, well, let's get back to what systems thinking is. A lot of the systems systems thinking came from the basis of um, biology, okay, and in terms of like in engineering, right? Yeah. Because you had to design all these systematic things to kind of feedback loop each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but you take those practices and you could it, you see bigger pictures and bigger concepts. I think the best entrepreneurs, especially in the best designers or creatives look at things in a systematic view. Like, yo, there's there's a big difference between Nas and Jay-Z. Everybody yeah. says Nas is the greatest lyricist, and I, I think he's a better lyricist, mm-hmm. and I would say so. But Jay, Jay graduated, right? <laughs> he owns the game. He owns the game. <laughs> yeah. He not only owns the game, he owns sports, like drinks, entertainment. I mean, he graduated. Because he saw it from a systematic view. I don't know if it was the crack game that, that kind of gave him the early education. Yeah. I mean, and I always say this. If you want to learn about really good business systems, look at the cocaine business. They figured it out. <laughs> so lots more narcos for homework. Yeah. But, um, but no, they figured it out. Look, I got to have supply. I got to make supply. I got to figure out how to distribute my supply. I got to figure out the way to go around the law, mm-hmm. right? I'm not telling anybody, I'm not advocating being illegal, but they figured that shit out. They learned transportation, they learned enforcements, they learned all these other aspects. And it took a, a long time for like a DEA to press charges on because they were so good at one, building a system, and, and two, understanding how the system works on the other end, and three, how to like bypass that system. It's a whole economy based. Yeah out of view, stealth, underground, whatever you want to call yeah. it, isn't it? and they were systems thinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, I, I'm really not advocating it, but you have to look at it in that aspect. And I think that's what in the designers of what you need to do is you have a vision, you have a solution. Instead of building one solution, you need to build a system that matches that whole vision. Mm-hmm. And then have the ability to test and back it up, right? Yep. Okay. Get, design it, iterate it, have a good feedback loop system and go. You've, you mentioned that you're, you've recently become a father. How has fatherhood changed or not the way you do business, uh, it slowed down okay. my business because I have to, you know, I I have to have another being that I have to make sure that he gets everything that he needs. Mm-hmm. And you know, fatherhood's probably the hardest, actually more scary than starting a business. Damn, um, it is. It, I, to be honest, I think it's more scary business because business could fail and you'd be all right, but a child fails. It's like what I mean by that is dying. Yeah, that's a whole different thing. 
Massive stakes. Yeah, the stakes are a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of slowed down, but I, I, in terms of time management, it's made me kind of laser focus my time management. Mm -hmm. Do you find yourself taking bigger risks because you have a, f a family now, or do you find yourself being a little more conservative? I say the best answer is I'm taking calculated risks. I'm, this is so nerdy, but I've built my own data models in terms of calculating my own risks. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. So, a lot of this data stuff came from being a super fan of the NBA, correct? Absolutely. So tell, tell us a little bit about how this started. I remember when we were working at Huge together, you were creating these insane data models of the Hawks, right? Or my, my fantasy model. Here's a funny story. Yeah. We were playing a, a company fantasy league game, and I made it a point. I was like, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win, <laughs> and I'm going to win with players you guys never heard of. Yeah. And I did. Damn. Well, we tied. Derek Jones had Steph Curry and like all the best players. So, so he was good. <laughs> that was, that's hard to beat. Sure, sure. But we tied for one. Mm -hmm. And I, I had like people didn't know it. Then like Kyle Korver, Jaymont Green. Yeah. I mean, I had all these players that were underrated. That were like they could fill a stat line. Mm -hmm. And I built a model around that. Mm -hmm. And I still build model. I build models just recently NBA draft. But that all came from. Uh, our, our mutual friend Tim, who's into basketball, and yeah. I had to figure. I, mean, I um, he got me into it because I wanted to have a really better conversation with him about it, and yeah. I wanted to learn it. And and in that world, I got to meet all these great people and understand how they looked at problems sure. from a from a data standpoint, right? And data is just not about numbers, right? Mm -hmm. It's the understanding of why those numbers happen, and. And in the basis of systems thinking, if I change certain things in the system and, mini and or mitigate this or, or increase this, does that change my outcomes in terms of systems, right? Yeah. And in, in doing that, you have to understand how players are playing, how coaching systems are coached. But you mentioned you could find players that, I mean, Draymond Green and Kyle Culver are pretty well known now, but prior, these were guys who could put up numbers and change a game, right? Well, yeah, they, 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 people talk about this, the 80-20 rule. That's what I used, right? Mm -hmm. I said, like, 80% is going to come from 20% of my, my players, so mm -hmm. I based it on that. But I also said, I'm not going to win in these categories, or I'm not going to win free point percentages, and I think it was blocks, sure. right? So I drafted all my people that met all my other categories and minimized two categories, right? Because I knew I was going to lose. I mm -hmm. can't win in all categories. Yeah. So I played to all the strengths of what I drafted, the people that I that are no names compared to everybody else, mm -hmm. and it won. Right. It's so important to set those realistic goals where it's like, we, we just know we can't. So let's set that expectation here. We'll hit that, but we know we can't compete in certain areas. Yeah. No, what I was about to say is like, that applies to business too. It's like 80% of your income is going to come from 20% of your clients. Mm -hmm. As you give advice to other people thinking about creating a business or a startup how do you advise them to find their niche find their their own lane to play in as a designer if you're starting a business you need to figure out what your product market fit is and the product market fit looks like a bomb like a landmine like you may have like five people that are interested in your thing but a landmine product market fit is when somebody takes it out of your control and says oh we need to use that. Hey, let me set up a meeting with somebody else. You gotta talk to them because yeah. this is gonna be like I need to use that today. And it just goes. It just goes. You, you it, it gets ahead of you. That's when you know you got product market fit. Yeah. Um, I think Kickstarter, all these other aspects. If you start your own business, look for that thing. That's when you know you got a product market fit. Right. Mm -hmm. I think one of the best advices I got was on scaling. Was some guy told, or investor told me, he said if it takes. 10 people to make a million dollars, and then you have to hire 20 people to make $2 million, that's not a scalable business. Sure. 
right? And I think the design business is made that way. Mm -hmm. And it's not a scalable, you look at any agency, it's not scalable. And coming from the data world, I'm all about optimization, right? Yeah. I'm all about, can I get by with players who never got heard of and still win? And that's how I always look for the smallest things that I could, that could be 10X for me. Mm -hmm. Every time I, I hang out with you, Justin, I come away with like a reading list a mile long. Any books or publications or thinkers that you've been looking at recently that, that really helped you get where you are? You know, I, I believe, like I said, all knowledge is spendable currency, but you know, a lot of my influences that I've come from or like that I love are from the financial world, it's David Swinson, Ray Dalio. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you guys don't know who those guys are, look at them. David Swinson turned this endowment effect in less than a billion dollars, eight billion dollars for Yale in, in like a small amount of years. Like he has, and they, they call it the Yale endowment strategy. I mean, a lot of people have tried to copy him, they can't do it, but yeah. dude's amazing like, sure. to have that kind of return. And he's, he was returning an average of like 11%, which is crazy. He beat the 2008. Well, I don't know if he beat 2008 market, but he still was earning money in the 2008 market. Yeah. And, town, and during the or the fall. Ray Dalio is another example. This guy, he believes in um, transparency. Bridgewater is his company. Look it up. Is the way people are so brutally honest with each other. And um, it, it creates great feedback because... Like one of his things is you have to understand what reality is, and if you don't, or you're not willing to accept reality, then you're you're never going to grow. Sure. So that he always tells people like, like radical candor, right? As the call, it. or is that from a show? That was that was Silicon Valley. Yeah, it was. Yeah, because like, they copied from him. Yeah, that was it. Um, so for natural, them. I mean, from the entertainment world, man, I love David Fincher. Okay. Fincher is like everything is so precise with him. Um, you know, he'll make you do a hundred takes. But when you watch his editing process, you'll see why he does 100 takes. He's, he'll like, you'll do the same line over and over. He looks for the most natural take that he does. But when you look at the way he edits, he's like, oh, I love the way her lip to move right there. Mm -hmm. So let's cut to that real quick. The that, little that, human. Yeah. He looks for every nuances that make the performance to bring out the best performance, whatever how small and detailed it is. Um, and I admire that. And, and he's just so much a master of his craft. And there's this good quote, like, actually, Sylvia, we... I never asked Sylvia actually, but she told me this and yeah. I talked to her. Is yeah. if you're, this, if this was a teacher we had uh, way back at, at school at Portfolio Center. Yeah, and she said the, one of the best advices she gave me. Well, she gave me two good advice. One was, if you're stuck, change your socks. That shit really works. <laughs> and two, if you really want to learn, watch a master do something for, for an hour. Mm -hmm. Right? I watched Seven the other night. So, like, just seeing the way David Fincher locks off his shots and frames and blocks his, his scenes. Yeah. The will Watch the behind the scenes, an hour, an hour behind the scenes of his switch or his commentary. Mm -hmm. And it, it's so colorful. And um, not colorful in terms of like, you know, it's entertaining, but like it's so insightful. His control of the medium is incredible. There's yeah. nothing like it. And, and he's so scientific about it. And, um, and, and the way he like frames the conversation or at least the dialogue is, is even amazing in itself. I mean, Aaron Sorkin helped with you know, Social Network, but yeah. he's still his other writers are still good. Mm -hmm. So in that world, but also artists, um, Rick Rubin. Mm -hmm. Yes. Rick Rubin. His ability to bring out the core essence and basics of artists, where it's Slayer, Dixie Chicks, mm -hmm. Beastie Boys, Kanye. Mm -hmm. um, By stripping down a lot of times, right? Yeah. He reduces to Johnny Cash. He yeah. brought back Johnny Cash's career. Yeah. Um, I think those guys teach us about a lot of things. I mean, financial world, whereas artistry, I mean, you're going to have a lot of designers that everybody's influenced by. I mean, dribble and all those other aspects, right? But, mm -hmm. like, I think you have to look back at, like, P. 
people who are masters or people who just think differently, mm-hmm. right? And, and a lot of people that I look up to, not look up to, but I follow are contrarians. Yeah, there's an openness to a contrarian, right? They, they see things from a different perspective and they operate on that vision. Yeah, absolutely. And you got to admire that, whether it's not, I mean, there's a certain principles and, and aspects that they abide to, they go by, and they're not afraid to be wrong about it because they're just going against the grain. I mean, Michael Burry is a really good example, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't know who Michael Burry is, that's a guy that Christian Bale played on The Big Short. He's a guy that said the housing market's going to crash. He just looked into the numbers, but he was like one of the few contrarians. I love it. I, um, I've definitely seen myself as a little bit of a contrarian throughout my career, and Man, it's been incredible to see you grow and evolve and learn so much new stuff. Y'all, hire Fiona if you need data mapping. And I'm telling you, we cut, we cut down months of implementations into less than an hour. Big mountains of data. If you got them, Justin can sort them. Yeah, we automate the mapping process. <laughs> Justin, it's been so fun, man. Good to see you again. And no, thanks, pleasure is mine. Yeah, thanks for coming to our deal, man. Appreciate it.